Our opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. Noir? Freshly Brewed Noir. Yes. Did I say it? Did I say it strangely? <laughs> Sounded like Noir. Noir. <laughs> French, oui. No, it's C. I'm... <laughs> all right, that's a great way. Start off episode 14. <laughs> We're all over the place. Well, I am. It's okay. It's been a minute. We took a little hiatus. We went on a fun trip. Yes, and now I don't know how to act anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what is speaking? <laughs> what is this that we're doing? <laughs> I'm Jennifer. And I'm Summer. And this is episode 14, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. The witch trials. We're going to focus on the ones that are in Europe. Europe. Okay. That's yeah. that's a lot. A lot more happened there than happened in Salem, which, of course, everyone is familiar with the Salem witch trials that took place in earlier colonial America. But yeah, the witch that's... hunts and trials in early modern Europe aren't really talked about. Yeah. I never knew about any other witch trials except the Salem ones, really. I mean, that's all they taught us. You're about to know. Thank you for teaching us, (laughs) showing us the ways. It's October. It seemed appropriate. Oh, yeah. We're sticking with the spooks. We want to feel that creepy, eerie October feel. Very on brand. Very noir or noir. <laughs> noir. <laughs> if you're Jennifer coming back from France. <laughs> I'll get it together one day. Sorry, this is this is great. All right, so should we jump in? Let's nope. do it, yes. Early modern Europe was actually the start of witch hysteria, which began in the early 1400s and lasted until the late 1700s, with 1782 being the last reported execution of a quote-unquote witch. It is estimated that 40,000 to 50,000 executions were performed in Europe, whether it was by burning, drowning, or hanging. But in Europe, burning was the preferred method of execution since it was considered a more painful way to die. That's great. Oh, huh? I guess they, they chose it specifically for that reason. Yeah. Like, what's the worst way to go? Burning? will do that. One scholar, Carlo Ginsberg from Stanford University, states in his work, Night Battles, that the numbers are actually more between three to four million people being executed in Europe for practicing witchcraft. It's, it's a like lot. a whole country. Yeah. That's him. The historians agree on forty to 50,000. They agree on the lesser, and we'll get into why there could have easily been more than that. Okay. You ready? I'm so ready. Okay. We're going to start with the first known references to witchcraft and witches, and it goes as far back as the Bible and the book of 1 Samuel, which was estimated to have been written between 931 BC and 721 BC. And it is the story of when King Saul went out to find the witch of Endor to summon a dead prophet's spirit because he was wondering what to do about the Philistine army closing in on him. The witch awakened Samuel's spirit, but Samuel then prophesied that King Saul and his son would die. So according to the Bible, the next day, Saul's son died in battle, and then King Saul committed suicide. That is what the witch prophesied? She said that they would both die. And so she was right. What the witch actually did was just bring the prophet's spirit 
spirit back to life, kind of like uh, speaking through her. Okay. You should also keep in mind that he got rid of anyone that he thought was a witch and nobody could practice anything and he sent them all away. But then when he needed something, he mm. went to seek her out. He's, oh, when it's convenient. In the, in the dark at night, he's wearing his cloak. Don't let anyone see me. <laughs> of course. Right. Yes, because that would ruin, you know, <laughs> everything I've done before this. Yes, my like, narrative of getting rid of you all, but I, I still need... I need some help. Uh, right. When it, when it benefits me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up not really benefiting him, so... Well, there are also verses that condemn witches, like in Exodus 22, 18, where it states, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, which basically means put any woman to death that practices evil magic. And there are additional passages in the Bible that talk about steering clear of chanting or using witches to contact the dead, like King Saul did. So what is this chanting? Is it is it really witchcraft that they're doing, or is this like prayers? If you weren't praying to God, it was considered witchcraft. So if you're chanting, it was considered worshiping the devil or demons. Anything any that, that wasn't like Christianity? Correct, because this was the Bible, Jennifer. Yes, <laughs> that is where I'm getting it from. <laughs> That's how I realized. <laughs> so the persecution of witches took place in the Roman Empire as well. There are records from around 186 BC, and this continued until the late 4th century. In 81 BC, there was a law that banned the trading and possession of harmful drugs, poisons, and possession of magical books and other occult paraphernalia. And so this was some of the more earlier law that I could find on witchcraft. And this was like in late medieval times. Then we're going to go into 31 BC. Emperor Augustus burned over 2,000 magical books in Rome. Then an emperor named Tiberius Claudius had 85 (laughs) women and 45 men executed for suspected sorcery. Tiberius Claudius did this? It may not be how you say his name, (laughs) but doesn't that look like a Tiberius Claudius? It does, yes. And I mean, that's the only way you should say it. Yeah. Fancy name. We're going with that. Magical books just are gone now. They're gone now. Yep. Good old Claudius got rid of them and that was it. (laughs) God, that sucks. So he was like, get this stuff out of here. During the early Middle Ages, there were some decrees to outlaw witch hunts put in place by the Catholic Church. They believed that witchcraft did not exist and therefore there could not be witches at all. It was kind of like, we're not going to persecute witches right now because we don't even believe it's a thing. It was strange. They were like, okay, we don't believe it can be anything. Like, you can't be a witch. So it's not a thing. Let's not talk about it being a thing. Let's not accuse people of it. Let's not persecute people for it. Because it's not a thing. Because it's not a thing. Even though, you know, we burned all these magical books. (laughs) It's not a thing, though. Well, that was Tiberius Claudius. Okay. I don't know if he was Catholic or not. (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, we don't know his lore. We don't. One of the first famous witch hunts was that of a female philosopher and mathematician in Egypt named Hypatia, who threatened the influence of Saint... Saint Cyril? I think Cyril. Cyril? Cyril? (laughs) Saint Cyril? Saint Cyril, the Bishop of Alexandria, in 415 AD. She was hunted down by a mob dragged into a building, stripped naked, her eyeballs were cut out, and she was murdered with roof tiles. What do you mean roof tiles? Like bludgeoned with roof tiles? Yes. And so the actual word they had for it translated into either oyster shells or roof tiles. Oyster shells. Oyster shells. I I feel like after an oyster roast, you'd be too happy to murder somebody. So I'm going with roof tiles. If you're putting on a roof, you're pissed off and hot. and Right, right. Oyster shells? I don't know. What if their roof tiles were more made of, like, oyster oyster shells? shells? 
That's true. It was the a equivalent oyster shell roof tile that she could have been murdered with. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they they ripped out her eyes. Yeah. It was a very brutal murder. Okay. But not even done. It said that her body was torn to pieces after that and dragged through the town and then brought to a place where they were set on fire. So they dismembered her. Yep. Took those pieces, pieces through the town to a place where they set them on fire. And this is all because they thought she was a witch. This is an actual witch hunt. Basically, the murder was based on the fact that she was really good friends with Orestes and he was a Roman state official serving as governor of the diocese in Egypt. The bishop was on Orestes' bad side, which means his power could be taken away. And so I'm assuming it's very political, money-driven, and Hypatia was like, this bishop is bad news, Orestes. And Orestes was like, I believe you, Hypatia. So politics back then were brutal. Just as they are today, yes. Yeah. And this mean... is the most you'll hear us talk about politics. <laughs> yes, when they involve witch hunts and <laughs> right. uh, dismembering. This was an actual witch hunt, which I thought was really interesting because this is kind of where witch hunts come from. So obviously they weren't targeting her specifically. They were looking for a specific person and she just kind of maybe fit the bill. It sounds like the murder was politically motivated just to get rid of her so that way the bishop could be on Orestes' good side again, if he ever was on his good side. I have no idea. But it ended up creating like an outrage She became a martyr. And then the bishop, I think his powers were stripped anyway. I don't know if they ever had any evidence against him specifically, but it was like pretty well known that he either called in the people to do this hit or he created this atmosphere and talk about her that created this mob of people that wanted to just murder her. Wow. So it's kind of where I think we get the whole witch hunt terminology. So this is where it started. It sounds like it. It's the earliest one I could find about a witch hunt. That was brutal. Isn't that terrible? Yes. So then, in the 14th century, since medical doctors weren't a thing yet, people in Europe went to local herbalists for potions to heal them. Potions. I know, potions. We're so ready for this. <laughs> yeah. They were mostly seen as good and helpful to their communities, but in 1486, the Malus Maleficarium by Henry Kramer was published. It endorsed the extermination of witches, which he supported with detailed legal and theological theory, torture, and deception was promoted and it expressed a very gender biased theory that women were more susceptible to demonic temptations. So Europe had now entered into a countrywide panic over witches. So why did they think that women were more susceptible? I mean, obviously Jennifer were weaker, right? Or weaker. <laughs> we're more open to these things. Yeah. Opening ourselves they, they up. They said we're more carnal. We're more susceptible to demonic temptations. Like we're just submissive. I Got see. a bad rap. We did, yeah. <laughs> from the from the get-go. Mm-hmm. We didn't even get a fair chance. No. Historians state that the majority of accused were women, and it appeared very outspoken women who were unconventional for the time. The height of witch hunts took place between 1560 to 1630 in Europe. It is estimated that 50,000 Europeans were burned at the stake for witchcraft, and about 80% were women. Between 1560 to 1707, as many as 4,000 witches were believed to be killed in Scotland alone. Oh, so Scotland was on board. Just, oh, they were on board. The witch hunts in Europe were huge. 
Okay, but the records aren't extremely accurate. So historians believe the numbers are much higher. And that's where it gets into the... The millions. Right. And then Switzerland and Northern European German-speaking states had some of the biggest numbers of witch hunts and trials. Germany actually had the most, though, with over 1,000 that took place between just 1626 and 1631. So only a five-year span. A thousand trials took place, and Germany was responsible for 42% of the witch trials. That's almost half. Right. Followed by Switzerland and then France. So those were like three of the big heavy hitters as far as witch trials. And then Spain also investigated witchcraft accusations, but the execution numbers appear smaller than in other countries in Europe. Historians also state that witches were blamed for economic and natural disasters. So you got some hurricanes or any type of crop failure. Failure, your local witch did it. Your local witch, who I'm assuming they're not offering themselves, yes, I'm a witch, you know. Does that make any sense? Like you're living in this country, you need to eat too, but you're going to create famine. No, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So so how did they determine who was causing this? Depends on who they didn't like. (laughs) So it was was the outspoken women or it was the very poor women who they didn't want to continue feeding or it was the women who didn't have enough babies or whose babies may have died at birth. Basically, if you didn't fit into this little box of what a woman should be, you were probably a witch. Okay, so just add on to the terrible things that they already have to go through. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just lost a child. So you're a witch and you did that to yourself. Yeah. Or, you oh, know. they're blamed for everything. Well, one theory, though, that's interesting is that since Europe was transitioning from feudalism to capitalism, women were seen as economic threats or competition to men and needed to be controlled and managed. As we do. If you were starting your own little herb business, making your own shampoo, they're like, no, no, no. Hold on. You want to work? You want to get money? No. Too much. So that's a witch right there. (laughs) You know, this business looks like it's going to flourish. Yeah. Mm -mm. We can't have these women with this lavish hair walking around. Making potions? No. So let's have a little story. It's 1589, and King James VI of Scotland marries Princess Anne of Denmark by proxy with someone standing in for him, and then heads out to Scotland to meet her husband and officially marry, but due to bad weather, is forced to pull over in Norway. James then heads to Norway, and they are officially married. They celebrated for almost a year throughout Europe and then headed back to Scotland. But James was haunted by Anne's experience at sea, and after speaking with the Admiral of Anne's ship, he is told that a wife of of an official that he insulted cursed the ship. What? <laughs> Basically, it's a bunch of gossip going around like, oh, so-and-so cursed your ship because they're mad and I insulted her and this is what happened. So King James blames Anne's travel troubles on witches. What? Yes. It's so, just such a hard concept to grasp here. Not back then because several Scottish nobles were implicated and then witchcraft trials went down in Denmark. Hardcore. They were on board with this theory. Okay, and I assume it just from there tumbled into this. It was bad. During the trials, one of the implicated women named Anna Coldings gave the name of five other women and one of whom was the official's wife that had been suspected by the admiral of Princess Anne's ship. The five women supposedly confessed that they summoned the storm by sorcery. Two were burned at the stake, and you know they probably tortured them to get confessions. 
I see. Because at first you're like, why would they even confess to that? I tortured them. Remember that book was promoting, like, you torture women to get a confession out of them. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what happens when you Mm -hmm. torture people. They want you to stop. Mm -hmm. Well, King James also began his own witch trials in Scotland called the North Berwick Witch Trials. More than 100 alleged witches were arrested and many were tortured and confessed to meeting with the devil in order to try to sink his ship at sea while Anne was on her way to Scotland. James said that one of the accused women told him something that he only told his wife, so she must be a witch because how would she know? It's not like people eavesdrop or Exactly! (laughs) Right! He said it was supernatural powers, but it was most likely just gossip between chambermaids that got out. Hello. No, it has to be supernatural. Yeah. (laughs) There's no other explanation. She was reading his mind, or she was transformed into a bird and flew into the chambers and just listening to him. I mean, yeah. What other rational explanation Makes sense. Right. (laughs) So two women, one was a midwife and one an herbalist healer who made great shampoo, were burned at the stake. So everyone just has bad hair. Because they burned that lady that was making that great shampoo. 1597, King James published Demonology which was his critique on black magic. So he's critiquing black magic, calling it demonology. Right. Because he knows all these things now. He's an expert. Well, how does he know this? If he knows it, doesn't that make him like a a witch too? If he'd be like a warlock? Well, no, because he's against it. You know, he he doesn't. But how do you know all this stuff then? Because he's the king. And also (laughs) to further help himself out, he also changed evidence laws in his country to make it easier for him to prosecute witches. Of course. Such as letting children testify, which will come up later in the Salem trials. Oh, gosh. <laughs> when he became King of England in 1603, by the way, his name changed to King James I. So five generations dropped. He's now the first. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how it works. Right? I don't know how it works. I'm number one now. <laughs> yeah. He's like, finally number one, killing all these witches. After Queen Elizabeth I's death, he was still obsessed with witchcraft. So now he's King James I, still obsessed with witchcraft. Even though he doesn't know anything about it, he just knows what's bad about it. He published demonology. He knows. He wrote his critique. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, how do you know it's so bad if you don't know anything about it, if you don't practice it? Because they tried to to make his fiance drown, so he knows it's bad. It's bad news. Okay. Okay. From experience. (laughs) From experience at sea. (laughs) The 1563 Act, though, that was created by Queen Elizabeth I's Parliament actually criminalized witchcraft. So this was back when Queen Elizabeth I was still alive. Indictments for homicide related to witchcraft are on record during this time. Over one in five indictments for murder were attributed to witchcraft after the act passed, and 95% of the accused were women. The act demanded the death penalty for witchcraft. If physical harm was caused due to witchcraft, lesser crimes were punished with prison time. I want to know what this evidence is. Oh, evidence is you're hearing chambermaid gossip, Jennifer. That's all you need. That's all. That's all. all. That's need. the motive. Right. Oh, come on. Or you get a vision. Uh, that became evidence. If somebody gets a vision or they feel like a How witch. How do you present that to the court? Oh, you presented it and it basically killed a bunch of witches in Salem. <laughs> In 1604, it appears that there was an extension or amendment to the act which toughened the consequences and made any form of practice punishable by death. So now it's not just if you're causing harm with your alleged witchcraft, it's any even practice of it. If you're reading a book about it, if somebody hears you chanting, if somebody thinks 
your hair looks too good, you're probably a witch. What about if you're cooking? Like, Oh, yeah. If there's too many bubbles in that cauldron, watch out. If that meal is, is too colorful, be careful. I'm exhausted. If, I'm just... if you're friends with nature, you just had to be careful. What? You... What could you do? You couldn't do anything. You could basically be married and have babies. That was it. Just keep your head to the ground. It was a great time. It was a woman's great time, time to be alive for a woman. Yeah. <laughs> In 1612, the Pendle witches were tried and 10 executed in all. Nine of them on the testimony of a nine-year-old girl. Because remember now we can use child testimony. And what is she accusing them of? Witchcraft. Because a lot of them would say that they had visions of this person or that they felt the witch pricking them or hurting them. So it was just all made up stuff. And this nine-year-old is is credible. Credible, according to that act that passed. Mm -hmm. They just got murder happy, didn't they? (sighs) Very much so. Richard Byrne wrote a manual about witch hunting in 1629 and advised that they seek actual evidence of witchcraft for trials. Okay. So thank you, Mr. Byrne. For actual evidence. So it appears that he wanted to reform the law, so I guess he was trying to be helpful. But after King James I died, his son did reform the witchcraft laws a little bit and did require, quote-unquote, evidence for prosecution. So witch hunters tried to gather what was considered the required evidence, such as witnesses or confessions. But let's remember that confessions came after torture. So a lot of the stuff that they said was required evidence. They would just torture them to get it. Yes, and witnesses could make things up, and some of the witnesses don't seem like they were credible. All of the witnesses don't seem like they were credible, actually. Because you could just wake up and say, I had a vision. Yes, you, you don't like the person down the street. I had a vision. Yes. But let's this get her killed. Is, yeah. is prickling me. You can't tell, <laughs> right. but I'm telling you this, so that's evidence. Yeah, that was evidence. In 1644, a man named Matthew Hopkins began hunting witches. He ended up being responsible for 300 convictions and deaths related to witchcraft in England during a very brief time, only three years, 1644 to 1647. He was the self-proclaimed witch finder general. Self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed. It was never like an official thing passed down from parliament, but he was very good at marketing himself because he would travel to these towns and sell his services and he would use sleep deprivation to get confessions, which you and I have experienced sleep deprivation. We have. I mean, we're like, just let us fall asleep. Right. Okay, what, what do you want us we're, to say? Yes, Whatever. we're witches. Whatever. <laughs> just let us go to sleep. Yeah, they would have gotten us really quick back then. <laughs> it's a good thing we weren't born in that time. Oh, right. Maybe we were. Oh, Maybe. we could have been witches and <laughs> you made that great shampoo. See, I would have definitely been <laughs> called a witch for sure. Oh, yeah. We were heathens. Uh-huh. He would also use a test to find out if someone was a witch by tying them up to a chair and dropping them into a large barrel of water. If they floated to the surface, then they were a witch because their body had rejected their Christian baptism. If they did not come back up to the surface, they were not a witch, but they were also dead because they drowned. (laughs) Well... Hold on. We'll talk about I have, the so, I have so much to say. <laughs> Hold that thought, because another method he used was the devil's mark, which was the finding of a strange mole or third nipple. So he and his accomplices would strip the accused of their clothing and look for this mark. Another method of finding out if someone was a witch was to cut their arm with a blunt object. If they did not believe they were a witch, but if they bled... They weren't a witch, but now they most likely would end up with some type of bad infection. (laughs) 
cut their arm off or just or just slice it? Two different things I read. One says he would cut it off, and the other one said he would just slice it with a blunt object. So either way, it doesn't sound like you're getting out of that. Oh, hell no. With... I would be like, can I cut your arm off? And let's see if you bleed. <laughs> no, you couldn't because you would be a woman. <laughs> probably accused of witchcraft so exactly <laughs> what, what logic does this and what about science no science wasn't a big thing science right, wasn't a right thing now back then. it was, it was just all about killing you... witches <laughs> yeah surviving plagues <laughs> so hopkins wrote a book that was called the discovery of witches and it was about his methods which were even referenced in law books people yes. law books <laughs> so law books witchcraft same thing right yeah mm -hmm. i mean that's kind of what they're basing lack of evidence is evidence yeah made up evidence is evidence it's whatever and he would charge a hefty fee to the towns that he searched for witches in he also traveled with women who would help him perform his pricking of the witches and this is where the accused would be poked on their skin with sharp pins or needles in order to gain confessions does that sound lovely no one would confess to that right <laughs> You're being, you know. being pricked nonstop with sharp objects. Yeah. yeah probably gonna, just to get them to stop, they're probably going to be like, yes, fine, I'm a witch, whatever. Exactly. Whatever you want. All of these tactics. Yeah. Please don't cut off my arm. Yes, I'm a witch. I need that arm to stir my cauldron right. <laughs> of non-witchcraft stuff, but I, I need that arm. Yes, please. <laughs> don't set me on fire. Oh, no. Let's jump over to America for a second, because in 1645, the first accusations of witchcraft took place in Springfield, Massachusetts, by a husband and wife. They accused each other of witchcraft. Oh. Hugh and Mary Parsons went on trial. He was found innocent and Mary was acquitted. However, she was still sentenced to hang for the death of her child. She ended up dying in prison. What do you mean the death of her child? Did she kill her child? I'm sure she did. She was probably a witch. You know how this goes for women. <laughs> I do. I do, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I'm just, I'm just, you know, hoping for some kind of like real evidence, but I guess I can't, I have to give that up this you, episode. You need to give that up quickly. <laughs> to let go of that. You are going to be sad by the end of this if you wait for real evidence. In 1648, Connecticut colonists adopted the European court rules regarding, among other things, the use of child testimony while a trial proceeded on Alice Young and Margaret Jones. Around 80 people throughout Massachusetts Bay Colony were accused of witchcraft. 13 women and two men were executed between 1645 and 1663, and this was 45 years before the Salem witch trials took place. Okay, so there was witch trials happening. Before the Salem ones, yes. And it was very much influenced by the ones that were going on in Europe. And then, again, they adopted those European laws about evidence, which is basically like, you don't need it, just make it up. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so bring that same logic over here. That's yeah. great. And then in 1692, as most of us know, the European rules and methods were used in the Salem witch trials. And during the Salem witch trials, which lasted from 1692 to 1693, 150 were imprisoned and 19 ended up being executed. If you remember the testimony of three young girls, Elizabeth Paris, who was nine, Abigail Williams, 11, and Anne Putnam, 11 also, were the main testimony in the trial that convicted the women. Additional people who were imprisoned had died while in jail. I remember mm -hmm. reading about that just infuriated me. It was right. so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Just no, just made no sense. So many people died. Yeah, several hundred were executed in the U.S. colonies for witchcraft. Just because someone didn't like you, yep. or there was some gossip about mm -hmm. you, or you were just doing something they didn't like. Yeah, or you didn't have enough babies, or you didn't have a husband, or you were 
maybe your business was starting to flourish. You were becoming too successful. Mm -hmm. and, or not successful enough, and they didn't want you around in society. They're like, we don't want to take care of this person. You just can't do anything Which, right back then, huh? No, you could not. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, due to population alone, Europe's witch trials and executions were much higher than the U.S., but my family's lineage actually has a strong connection to the U.S. executions. We talked about this. Mm -hmm. Let's kind of find out. When I was younger, my great aunt, and this is on my maternal grandmother's side, it was her sister, talked about our genealogy, and she was very involved in researching our family tree. She would spend hours at the libraries in the States, and she even traveled to Europe and did research on our genealogy. That's impressive. She did a lot, even as a teenage girl. I thought, this is her hobby. This is what brings her joy. Right. It was neat. I wish I could do that, but that's a lot of work. It was a lot well. of work. Yeah. And she put in the time. And one of the things she told us that I found fascinating as a young teen was that there was at least one line on our chart where she believed someone had been executed for being a witch around the time of the Salem trials in America. And according to my great aunt and another relative, Edward Bishop Jr. and Sarah Wilde's bishop were relatives of ours and were in Salem during the time of the trials. And Sarah Wilde's was the stepmother that was executed by hanging in 1692. And there was an alleged feud between her family and the Putnam family, who were the primary accusers during the trials. Sarah was known as a nonconformist in Puritan, Massachusetts. So she was an easy target, obviously, during the witch hunts. And she was considered glamorous and forward and even had a prior offense on her record for, get this, wearing a silk scarf. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was an offense. <laughs> this is your relative? Yes. Supposedly, yes. She it's sounds like in a the charts. Yeah, I know. She sounds just... Just like she was fashionable. Yes. She's and like, she was a nonconformist. Nonconformist. She's like, I'm going to wear this silk scarf. Do what I want. <laughs> yeah. I'm a badass. She was a badass until they executed her. Gosh. So she was arrested and tried with the majority of the evidence against her being spectral evidence, which is based on testimony of those claiming to have had visions. So somebody would say they had a vision about her and she was in their room. And so she must be a witch because obviously you can't just appear to somebody. They were thinking about that silk scarf. They're like, that is a fabulous scarf. Let me just envision it right now. Well, that's what they were thinking of, but they didn't want to admit think about that scarf. Of course. They're Puritans. They were like, oh, no, I hated that scarf. <laughs> <laughs> they were a little jealous, okay? No, totally. Yeah, she was glamorous. That's what happened. Yeah. yeah, it could be glamorous back then, people. No, you no. get haters and what they do to you. <laughs> so another relation that we are supposed to have is with Anne Pudator. I think that's how you say her name. She was executed in 1692, also by hanging. She was a nurse and a midwife. Her first husband had died and left her property, and her second husband died, and it is theorized that the fact that she owned property and was well-to-do could have caused the accusations. Some of her alleged misdeeds as a witch included having materials in her home for witchcraft, but she said it was just freaking grease for making soap, people. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I just... Putting her herbs in it. Just some nice scented soap, but... Having her own home, having materials. It's witchcraft materials. One of the accusations was causing a man to fall out of a tree. Couldn't have been his own clumsy fault. It was what? her fault. Yep. And then bewitchment, which caused the death of a neighbor's wife. 
So she's just killing people. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then she also appeared in spectral form to afflicted girls. So these girls said that she came to them and they felt like sharp pains or spasms, like she was appearing and just assaulting them. You know what? And their leg probably just went to sleep. And yeah, right. Like, what is this pain in my leg? <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's blame it on the neighbor. Let's blame it on the neighbor witch. <laughs> that weird soap that smells so delicious. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it probably was a crime to smell good back in the you day. You smell good, couldn't have nice hair. If you looked glamorous AF, you were going to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had all of those just things. Just wear your good bonnet hair. and just be quiet, have babies. That's what they wanted. And stink. And stink a lot. <laughs> she was also accused of killing her second husband and his first wife. Oh, how did she do that? I'm sure with her witchcraft. Come on, <laughs> she cast a spell. Come on, we know this. All right, yes. all right. As well as turning herself into a bird and flying into her home. <laughs> as as we do. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a great way to get home quick. Could we do that, please? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yep. But I wish we could do that. Yeah. I, I, if we could do that now. Save some time. I wouldn't have to have a car and drive yeah. around, just fly around wherever I want to go. Oh, wonderful. So many of the allegations were made by Mary Warren, one of the young girls who had been allegedly afflicted by Anne. And Anne was 70 at the time of her execution. And it is not known where she is buried, but there is a memorial stone at the Salem Witch Trials Memorial in Salem. Sarah was exonerated around 1970. I believe, and Anne was exonerated in 1957. 1970? Yeah, it took a long time for them to be exonerated by the Massachusetts General Court. That's and, like not even and one that of long them, ago. No, and one of them was actually a family member was a big part of why they were exonerated because they just read about it and thought, this is just ridiculous. Why can't we just do something about it? People did not have common sense back then. No, not at all. So let's go back to Europe. Okay. And now we're back in Europe. In addition to... Quick. Very quickly, because we're birds. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We just flew. We changed our form to birds, flew back to Europe. In addition to the recorded known witch trials, there were also witch hunts being undertaken by vigilante types. Historians found that in Scotland, as just one example, cattle murians, which I looked it up, and it means disease, like the cattle caught disease and died. It was blamed on witches who were usually peasant women, so they were punished for their crimes. Not like the cows were sick or anything. <laughs> no, just... it can't be science. <laughs> disease. It has to come from the witch. God, thank God for science. Yes. So they were punished for their crimes without a trial. A popular method of punishment was called scoring above the breath, which was slashing across a woman's forehead in order to remove the power of her magic. And this was done absent judicial authorities. So without any authorities. Yep. Without any trial. There was just these vigilante types over all over Europe. And, and they would so, slice your head? Well, yeah, to get all the witchcraft out, Jennifer. Seep it out. Get it out that there. opening. Yeah. Like your third eye, maybe. Where were they when, you know, all these other witches died? So the ones that went to trial, that's fine. That was taken care of. But these vigilante types were like, there's probably peasant witches all over the country. We need to handle this. The cattle be dying. Let's take care of this. <sighs> 
<laughs> it it I, bothers I, us I, as women. It's just like I, I have no words. <laughs> I'm assuming these are men who are just taking it upon themselves yes. to save the world. Of course. They don't want witches around. Like, and of course. These are only peasant women. They had no authority, these... no protection, right? And then, as you can imagine, with all of these vigilante-type groups going around, there was probably a lot of murders that weren't recorded. That's where I can somewhat believe that it could be up in the three to four million. Yeah, of course, because those aren't on. going to get reported. Right. They were probably like good riddance. Mm-hmm. These people, yep. these witches, you know, who cares? Yeah. They're peasants anyway. Exactly. They didn't care. In 1735, English witchcraft laws were amended to make it illegal to accuse someone of witchcraft or having supernatural powers. And this began the decline of Europe's witch hysteria in the majority of European countries. However, some executions still took place. Witch hunts between 1450 to 1750 were recorded in the British Isles. So like Germany, Netherlands, Switzerland, Austria, France, Scandinavia, Central and Eastern Europe, Hungary, that's like Hungary, Russia, and in Southern Europe. The number of trials is estimated to be around 80,000, and the number of executions that are confirmed is around 35,000. But again, some historians report much higher numbers of executions. I'm sure, like with the vigilante types out there, like we were talking about, the higher numbers might be more accurate. I would believe that they're in the higher ranks. Me too. The higher numbers. The majority of people accused, tried, and executed for witchcraft were women, and scholars note that the men that were accused and executed usually had a relation to the accused women, such as husbands or brothers. Women who were too rich, too poor, who didn't have enough children, who didn't have a husband, all brought up suspicion of witchcraft. So the main reason men were executed executed or accused of being a witch was the relationship to a witch to a woman yeah it sounds like from what the scholars say the men that were actually tried and convicted of witchcraft were either married to a quote-unquote witch or they were a brother so it was never like they were on their own yeah no because men can do what they want Mm. Of course they can. (laughs) They can have that lavish hair. It's fine. Yeah. It appears that the last woman executed for witchcraft was Anne Goldie on June 13th, 1782. She was a Swiss woman who had a pretty interesting story. When she was 31, she got pregnant from a mercenary who left Switzerland before she gave birth. The baby died the night it was born, which wasn't uncommon back then. They had very high infant mortality rates. But Anne was, what's it called? The board where you got your head through and your hands through. It's got the another gallows? name. Is, I guess. Is that what it is was that where they called? take them to the gallows? But there was another so. name for it. Um, you know the head choppy thing? <laughs> Not the head choppy <laughs> thing. <laughs> this is before the head choppy thing. This was the humiliation thing. It was your head and your hands in these yeah, holes yeah, and I know like hanging about. there in the middle of town square because you did something wrong. We don't need to know what you it's probably called, know but it's it the is. it's the head and arms thingy. thingy. The head and arms humiliation thingy. Okay? Yes. yes. She we, was, we're familiar. Right. She was put in that after her child had died. So she's mourning the loss of her child and then they do this to her because... 1700s. There we go. There we go. 1700s again. If you heard episode 13, you know all about the 1700s. And how ridiculous they are. Bad time to be alive. And then she was sentenced to six years of house arrest. But she ended up escaping and started working for a family. She ended up having a son with one of the family members. And then later she started working for another family as a maid. And the father accused her of putting needles into his daughter's meals through supernatural means. Okay. 
That's just such a weird accusation. <laughs> Needles in your food? What? Supernaturally, too. So Maybe, she, didn't, she didn't just drop them in there. She used her mind, I guess, to facilitate the creation of needles in food? I have no idea. You know what? These are probably, like, spaghetti noodles that weren't cooked properly. Oh. And so they were just stabbing the child yeah. in the mouth. She was a bad cook, maybe. Yeah. That could be. Don't so blame her for that. Which for being a bad cook. <laughs> yeah, too good of a cook or a bad cook. <laughs> so she escaped this arrest too at first. But then they advertised a reward and she was found and arrested. They brutally tortured her and she admitted to entering a pact with the devil who had appeared as a black dog to her. How did they know that? Well, she confessed because they were brutally torturing her. Like one of the things they did is they hung her up by her thumbs or something and put weights on her ankles or her feet. Terrible. They did terrible things. <sighs> to her to get a confession so she was she could have been like about to pass out and hallucinate and that was just the first thing and, that came out right she's just like yes just let me down yes sure and i have a talked with the devil yep yes. and he looked like a dog of course once the torturing stopped she withdrew that confession duh of course she did of course she did because she's not being tortured right now right but she was still tried and beheaded so that's when she got into the head choppy thing then she got into the head choppy <laughs> thing yes jennifer <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the charges were officially listed as poisoning rather than witchcraft. And get this, the law at that time did not impose the death penalty for non-lethal poisoning, but she was still executed. So say she had poisoned the child, right? She shouldn't have been killed for it, according to the law. She shouldn't have, but she did anyway. Yeah, she because did. why? Because it's the 1700s. And they like putting people in head choppy things. <laughs> yes, well, clearly. <laughs> or they like burning you at the stake. Yeah, anything that was just horrible terrible punishment. She was exonerated on September 20th, 2007, when the Swiss parliament decided to acknowledge Anne Goldie's case as a miscarriage of justice. You think? Wow, 2007. 2007. when that was finally exonerated. Right. There is a book written about her, a musical, and in 2017, a museum was opened called the Anne Goldie Museum, which is dedicated to her life and death. Does it glorify her or is it like making it like the norm of I think the 1700s? It, it sounds like what she went through as a woman at that time and how they treated people back then. And just, I mean, it obviously doesn't make up for being beheaded yes, in your lifetime. Right. But I think it's their way of saying this was absolutely wrong. So we want to now show you that that was yeah, wrong. Show you that that was wrong. Celebrate her life and also not ignore the fact that she was beheaded. So they also talk about her death at the museum. <laughs> so you got no evidence throughout this whole thing. I'm sorry. You're, no evidence. You're wanting that. I mean, There's none of that. You've just made me tired. I know. I'm just... Like thinking about women in the 1700s and before, it's exhausting. I mean, even now it's exhausting at times being a woman, but back then? Right. Why? I couldn't even Gosh. imagine being a woman. And you know, Terrible. like we mentioned before. Because I like scarves, okay? You work you, a, a scarf you, like you it's nothing. But yeah. see, you couldn't wear scarves. That's just sad. Yeah, especially <laughs> now in the fall. Our scarves. Oh, scarves? Just that bonnet. <laughs> if you're cold, too bad. Yeah, just the bonnet. Mine and... the cold, though. It's very unfortunate, very sad. The witch trials of Europe. Well, I guess we see, you know, misogyny was a big thing back then. Was it? <laughs> yes, it if, was. If there's any takeaway from this episode, <laughs> it is misogyny was very live back then. Yeah, it wasn't really about witchcraft. It was about just getting rid of women yeah. that didn't fit into the little square that, that time made for them. Yeah, you, you didn't, didn't want, want to have conform. babies. 
you you had too good of a career going for you, too cute a scarf, or, or you, you were weren't poor. doing enough. Yeah. yeah, you weren't doing enough. Yeah, you were killing the cows. Turning into birds. <laughs> Which we're going to do right after this episode. So we, we can will. record another episode. <laughs> yes. We totally will. <laughs> That's our conclusion on the witch trials. We hope you enjoyed some really disgusting history. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot to take in. It was I feel dark. I was, it very was dark. Dark and unfair. Let's be, let's be glad <laughs> that, that we were not born in that time. <laughs> right. Again, we may have been. We don't know. Can't we may have been. It. We were probably executed. <laughs> Just us having this podcast, they would be like, what are those ladies talking about? What are they about? doing talking into those tree limbs over there, <laughs> sitting in the corner, with blankets over their heads? It seems like they're talking about like murder and paranormal stuff. I know. See, we couldn't have even talked about all that stuff that we loved back then. No. We just we had to be married and having babies. I've already done that part, but you have. I probably would have been executed for other things. So, What's on our agenda for episode 15? We are covering Mothman. So excited. I actually am not too familiar with, with him. So him or it or, or it or, or, you know, or whatever it wants to know, be moth ladies can be a thing too it right it could be a thing too but if it's causing havoc and it wasn't around in the 1700s <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that so yes yeah, so you're pretty familiar with it somewhat i just remember i i did watch the movie and then i looked into it after the movie from what was it 2002 you said 2002 richard gear and deborah messing right Laura yeah Lenny. Yeah, I, I just remember thinking that that was eerie, that it would really happen, some of those events. So I'm excited to hear you tell us about it. You'll refresh my memory. Yeah, I'm ready. We'll, we'll get into it. It's October. It. It's like spook time. Halloween vibes. Yes. All about some, All you know, way. paranormal Yep, activity. witches being executed, paranormal activity. We're, we're here for it. Of yeah. course, Jennifer turns Mothman into paranormal activity. Somehow. I know. But it's I'm a proud thing. of you. I didn't even listen. I knew you would. I should have thought of that. Listen, I didn't even know. Oh, you knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like we said, we hope you liked it. Rate us on iTunes. Yes, please. Five stars. Five stars always. Give us a review. Follow us on our socials. At Freshly Brewed Noir. And send us an email at freshlybrewednoir at gmail.com. And keep checking our stories because we have merch coming. Yes. When we get that website live, we mm -hmm. will let you know when yes. pre-sale is available. Right. So exciting. Yeah, we're hoping to get you some awesome Freshly Brewed shirts so you can send them as gifts. Yeah, we have the prototypes. We've been wearing them like non stop. I think yeah. I've haven't washed it in like <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I know I'm wearing mine right now. They're very comfy. Oh, they really are. And our motto's on the back. It's a great motto. And yeah. we'll close it out with the motto. Oh, okay. So until next time guys. Stay caffeinated. Get, get hobbies. And don't murder people. Bye. <laughs>